Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was probably the summer of 2021, maybe even the spring of 2021 when I first saw it. On a scoreboard as I was watching the Brewer game in St. Louis, there was this phrase that just said, he gets us. I didn't know what it was. Kind of interesting. Thought it maybe had some religious significance, but wasn't sure. And then a month or so later, I happened to be in Pittsburgh at a game, and there it was on the scoreboard again. He gets us. Dot com, right? Maybe some of you have seen some of their ads. They have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can find them, I think. I'm not on myself, but I believe they even have a TikTok channel, right? The ads for the Super Bowl, he gets us. And then I did some research to find out that it was the man who owns Hobby Lobby, a man by the name of David Green, who is really the driving force behind this group who wants you and me to see Jesus as someone who understands us, who knows what we're going through, and then who makes all the difference in our lives. It's really what the Bible says about Jesus too, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this, In Jesus we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. And so we can ask ourselves today, what about stress? Did Jesus ever go through stress? And don't we know what stress is? I, I know that maybe you don't look like this. You're probably all put together on the outside. But don't we feel like that on the inside sometimes? All frazzled, wondering what's going to happen next? I think about our students, and, and maybe the start of the semester is the best time for students, right? Just basically went through some syllabi this week and, and maybe had a couple assignments, but, but, but you got to see what was required of you for the rest of the semester. And maybe those thoughts came like, wow, it's going to be a lot of projects and a paper and some tests, and, and you start feeling that anxiety build up. But, but we all know it, don't we? Maybe it's a relationship that you're struggling with. Maybe you're taking care of a loved one and, and that's added some stress in your life. Maybe you look at the news and say, well, wow, there's violence and there's war and there's poverty and the economy is bad and, and who knows what's going on with our politics and we can make ourselves worried about a lot of things that are out of our control. And then we think, boy, I have to do a better job taking care of myself. I, I got to make sure I get to the gym and, and I make sure that I eat properly, right? And, and all of those things can just add these layers of anxiety and, and strain and stress to our lives. Wouldn't it be great if somebody knew exactly what you were going through? Wouldn't it be great if you had somebody who experienced the same things that you do, who knows what you're going through and then who can provide the help that you need? That's Jesus, right? That's the one who knows exactly what you're going through and exactly how to answer the needs that you have. And so as we ask that question today, was Jesus ever stressed? We'll use these words from Romans chapter 5 to understand that, that yes, as Jesus was stressed, he, he demonstrated his willingness to die for sinners. And then that death, the death that he suffered for sinners, that was how God demonstrated his love to us. Will you listen with me again to Paul's words in chapter 5, verse 6? You see, Paul writes, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Maybe 
allow me just a, a few moments to, to get you to where Paul got in Romans chapter 5. If you were to go back and, and scan the first four chapters of Romans, what, would you, what you would see is that Paul establishes beyond any doubt that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, that there is no one who can stand righteous before God. But then he goes one step further and he assures us that just like Abraham and all believers who've gone before us, we are righteous, we are holy, we stand forgiven before God by faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, the very final verse of chapter 4 says this, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death because of our sins and he was raised to life because of our justification. And then Paul starts chapter 5. You have peace. You have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. But what I find truly remarkable is it's almost as if Paul says, but, but I have to go a little bit further. I have to show you a little bit more what this really means. And so he comes back to the idea of how we stand right before God with some words that, let's be honest, they're going to be a little difficult to hear. First, Paul calls us powerless. Powerless. Is that a word that you usually put on your resume? We don't want that word to be used to describe us, right? We want to be thought of as someone who's not the weakest, someone who brings some intelligence, someone who can bring something to the table. But that's an accurate word when it comes to spiritual things. A couple of weeks ago, I had the experience of, and, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I'm working at my desk down in my office and typing away, and all of a sudden, my computer screen just went blank panic. Did I just lose everything that I was working on? My computer destroyed what's going to happen? And then, of course, oh, check the power, right? Oh, it's plugged in at the top of the laptop. It's, it's plugged in down below in the outlet. Everything seemed good. And then I lifted my laptop up and that little spot where it's connected in the middle to the power supply, that was disconnected and my battery had died. Whew. Relief. But that's us, right? From a spiritual standpoint, it's powerless. It's as if we can't plug into anything. There's nothing that we can bring to our, the table by ourselves. And then, as if to underscore how bad it is for us spiritually, Paul uses a second word. Maybe this one's even worse. Ungodly. Wicked. Evil. Later on in chapter 8, Paul would actually say this, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It hates God. It cannot submit to God's law. It will not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Why? Why does Paul talk like this? He wants us to take an honest look at ourselves. Because when we take an honest look at ourselves, it magnifies the grace of God all the more. When we admit there is nothing that we can bring to the table, there's nothing that we can offer God that would make us worthy to have him suffer and die for us, then we see God's grace. And, and maybe some of you are saying to yourself, but I thought you were going to help us with our stress today. You're talking about how ungodly and powerless we all are. That's just adding stress to my life. Well, hold on to that thought just for a moment. Again, I'm going to assume that some of you are like me. I have a hard time asking for help. It doesn't matter how lost I am. I will drive around for another half an hour to see if I can find the place that I'm looking for myself so I don't have to get out of the car and ask for directions. Have you ever put furniture together from Ikea? They give you this picture of what it's supposed to look like with no instructions and I will fight and fight to put that piece of furniture together before I will ever say, um, you know, could somebody come help me? And why? Why do we do that? 
It's kind of this weird pride, the strange pride that we have, right? That somehow people are going to think less of us if we have to ask for help, if we have to ask for assistance. But isn't that why God made us for each other? To help each other? And the real problem is that creeps into our thinking when it comes to how we stand before God too, doesn't it? I don't want to be told that, that I don't offer anything to God. I'd like to think that, you know, I'm doing pretty well, at least as I compare myself to other people in this world. And then I hear Paul's words, powerless, ungodly. Later, he's going to call us sinners. And I realize there's nothing. There's not anything that I can bring to God. But do you see why Paul does that? Do you see how much that just shines a spotlight on his next statement? Christ died for you? Why would he ever do that? What did he ever see in us that he would give up his life? And the answer is nothing. That's what grace is. That's what God's mercy is all about. To drive home his point, listen to what Paul says in verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Do you understand the illustration? Maybe I could just put it this way. If I asked you today, and here's a question you probably didn't expect to be asked when you walked into church today, who in your life would you be willing to die for? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Maybe you could tick off a few people on your list. Maybe it's your spouse or your children, uh, your parents, grandparents, grandchildren, maybe a significant other. There are a few people that maybe you would say, yeah, I would be willing to do that. Because that's how we think. It's a powerful question because we see our reason for wanting to die for other people has to do with the value they bring to us, to our lives, right? And so Paul says, you know, very rarely will that happen, but somebody might dare to die if it's for a good cause. And again, we have to look at ourselves and say, who did Jesus die for? And we see that there's nothing. There's nothing in us, there's nothing in our lives that, that offered Jesus a reason to die for us. If there was a ledger that said, what has Pastor John Billets done that made Jesus want to do come die for him? That ledger would be completely empty. And so would yours. There is not anything that I can bring before God. And yet, Jesus still died for us. That's coming up in verse 8. Can you just think with me for a minute what that was like for Jesus? We heard it in our gospel reading earlier, the stress that Jesus was under as the entire world's sins were heaped on his shoulders. The whole world's sins. Jesus was not dying for something that he had done wrong. But for your sins and mine, all heaped on him, the weight of the world's sins was on his shoulders. You felt it, didn't you, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Luke actually tells us it was so bad Jesus' stress was so high that his sweat became like drops of blood. Whether they were actually blood or not, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but there is a condition that's called hematohydrosis, which, in which people actually sweat blood. But we understand the strain, don't we? We know what Jesus was going the cross to the cross to do. We sang about it before and it's going to come up in our, our last song today too, the idea of the cup of Jesus asking his heavenly Father for the cup to be taken from him. And don't you almost have to ask the question, well, what's this cup all about? What's in the cup? And you know, don't you? That's where your sins are. And that's where my sins are. In the cup of suffering. In the cup 
of the very agony of hell that Jesus was willing to take on the cross for you and for me. That's what Jesus was willing to do. And then, the beautiful words that Jesus offered to you and me from that cross, those words, it is finished, that every sin was paid in full. That's what highlights God's love as Paul describes it in verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One last word the apostle uses just to make sure we didn't forget about being powerless and ungodly. He calls us sinners. And the word in the original Greek simply means to miss the mark. I suppose if you've ever been bowling and thrown a ball into the gutter, that's what it means. You miss the target completely. That's where we stand before God. But do you see? Do you see how that highlights God's grace all the more? There's zero reason that we've given Jesus to come suffer for us. And yet while we were still sinners, that's exactly what he did. He came to suffer He came to die. He came to pay the price, drink the cup that should have been ours so that we stand before God holy and blameless. Christ died for you. I don't know how many times you've heard that in your life. I don't think I could count how many times I've heard it or spoke it in my own life. But don't let it get old. Don't let that message somehow be old news. Let it touch your heart and life every single day. Jesus died for you. He died so you can live. He wanted to give you life. Life not just here with a foundation that helps you through the stresses and strains of this life, but a life forever. Isn't that amazing? That message that Christ died for you, that is the foundation for life. It's why when you face the stress that this life has to offer, the anxiety that this life presents, you can stand on solid ground. Because you know the truth about Jesus. You know what his death in your place means. You have certainty about your future. Well, that doesn't mean you know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. But whatever happens to you in this life, it can't change what Jesus has already won for you. It can't change that you have life with him forever in heaven. Let that message, let that message Christ died for you fill you with comfort and joy, and hope every single day. And live that joy in your life, knowing that a place for you is waiting with him in heaven. A couple takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, we marvel that Jesus gave his life for sinners. John wrote it this way in his first epistle, that, dear children, we are are called children of God, and that is what we are, how great the love the Father has lavished on us. Secondly, Jesus took the strain and stress of the whole world's sins to the cross. Do you remember how Isaiah described the the substitutionary work of Jesus in chapter 53? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Finally, number three, Jesus understands our stress. He gives us eternal life. In the second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if you ever put how you're feeling into a little stress meter. You know, where are you at on the stress meter? Where is life taking you? Are you high? Are you, are you lower on that stress meter? The bottom line is this. We know it's going to go back and forth in our lives. We know those days, if they're not here right now, are coming. 
And I think about the people of Israel camped by the sea with Pharaoh's army pursuing. Maybe you felt that way in your life, kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, the sea and an army behind. Listen to those words of Moses from God. Stand still and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. That's your joy. The Jesus who knows you, the Jesus who gets you is the one who suffered stress for you to forgive you of your sins. And that forgiveness of sins means that you have a place with him forever in heaven. The one who gets you is with you every day of your life in this world and he's waiting to welcome you home to the joy of eternity with him. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.